Please take your Bible this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 4 for the last two times together. And I've been calling this series The Vanishing of Sin. We stopped at verse 31 when we were looking at this. And today we're going to look at verse 32, and then we're going to go into chapter 5, all the way down to verse 5. But I want to begin in chapter 4, reading all the way back at verse 17, just so you have the entire context in your mind. Paul says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But let immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
The word imitate is a very important word in the Bible, especially in Paul's writings. We hear him in 1 Corinthians 4.16 saying, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. You say, Paul, that's a very bold statement to ask people to imitate you. Well, here's the qualifying statement, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where again he says, be imitators of me, and then he ends it with, just as I also am of Christ. That's the key. That's the only time people should be following one another. As they are of Christ, as they are imitating Christ. Because we certainly don't want to follow each other's sin, right? But we want to follow what God is doing in their life. And you know people that you look up to. We all have people that we look up to and we, we love them and admire them because of their commitment to the Word of God. And we say, that's what I want in my life. I want to imitate that. And the more and more we become like Christ, we become the kind of people that people can follow. Again, the qualifying statement, just as I also am of Christ. Paul was imitating Christ, and that's why he could ask others to imitate him. Yes, Paul was a sinner, just like you and I are sinners, saved by grace, amen? And I could tell you on a couple occasions where he messed up, he blew it. And it's sad that we tend to remember those moments. What do you think of about Peter? You, you think of his denial of the Lord, right? But the Lord forgave him, and the Lord used him mightily in the church. People think about Thomas. All they think about Thomas is doubting Thomas, right? I think when Thomas said, let's go over there so that we may die also, is not the words of a doubter. Because that's what he said on one occasion when they were to go and See, Lazarus, Lazarus had died, and Jesus says, I'm, let's go that we may awake him. And Thomas said, let's go and die with him. Sounds pretty bold, sounds pretty <laughs> kind of out there, right? We certainly don't want to imitate people in our life that when they have those shortcomings, so we have to be careful with how high we put them. We don't want to worship them. But as we follow people that are following Christ, we have to keep in mind that they are human just like we are human. They are sinners just like we are sinners. And they may fall in front of us. Don't let their fall be your fall. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in chapter 1 and verse 6, as well as in chapter 2 and verse 14... He said they had become imitators of us and of the Lord and of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. They patterned their life 
after Paul and Silas and Timothy and after the Lord Jesus and after the churches that were displaying the gospel in front of them. And the power came in 1 Thessalonians 1.5 where Paul says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know, believe it or not, contrary to popular opinion, we love to be around people that have conviction, especially the right kind of conviction. I'm not talking about people that, that have a conviction for the evil that they're doing. I'm talking about the people that have the conviction to stand on the truth of the Word of God no matter what. We have a rich history of the saints standing on the Word of God and suffering immensely because of that. These are the people that we are to imitate. I love what he says here. He says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you. You saw us. We lived among you. We didn't even burden you. We all acquired jobs so that we wouldn't be a burden. And they modeled before the people the kind of men that they were and the kind of people that the rest needed to follow. He says that you didn't just hear the gospel. You saw it powerfully at work in us. And that's a very, very powerful statement. Their lives matched what they were preaching. Does your life match what you preach to others? Does your life match what you tell others about Jesus? Do people even know that you're a follower of Jesus, that you're Christian? Because I know sometimes people don't want to make that known, and they say that's personal and that's private. The only personal part about that is between you and the Lord and you repenting and what God does in your heart at salvation. That's the personal aspect of it, but there's nothing private about it. When you're told in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to make disciples, there is nothing whatsoever private about it. We are not to have our faith private. We are to share our faith. We are to dispense our faith to those who do not know Christ. And we are to live Christ in front of them so that they can see the righteousness of Christ. And we're to talk about His atoning sacrifice and His resurrection. And I love what the reformers say. Every day, preach the gospel to yourself. I believe that. So that we don't forget. So that we don't allow it to become watered down or less significant or less important. That is the most important thing in your life. When you look here at the passage that we just read... Paul doesn't want them to imitate their former behavior as Gentiles or more specifically their former manner of life because that life only produced that which is corrupt. That's all it can do. That's all the flesh can do. It can only produce corruption. 
The flesh cannot produce righteousness. Instead, he wants them to put on the new self because the new self is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So when you look back at verse 25, he wants them to change some things. Back in verse 25, he wanted them to change from lying to speaking truth. And then in verses 26 and 27, he wanted them to change from unrighteous anger to righteous anger. And then in verse 28, he wanted them to change from stealing to sharing. And then verses 29 and 30, he wanted them to change from unwholesome words to edifying words. And then verses 31 and 32, he wants them to change from fleshly behavior to supernatural virtues. And as we look at chapter 5, he continues his thought from verse 32 of chapter 4 by stating that they are to imitate God. Now before I talk about that, I want to tell you that as I've been talking about the vanishing of sin, I've been talking about it in two ways. The first is we're talking about the culture that we live in. We're talking about how the culture has caused sin to disappear. They do that by ignoring it. They do that by softening any reference to it. They do that by changing the terminology. They do that by blaming those who have no part in what they're doing. That's the first way I'm talking about it. The second way I'm talking about it is by sin decreasing in our lives as followers of Jesus. And one important piece of evidence for spiritual growth in your life is the decreasingness of sin. As you grow in holiness, as you grow in righteousness of the truth, sin becomes less and less appealing to you. And you find yourself wanting to have nothing to do with it. You want to be rid of it once and for all. In fact, you find yourself longing even more for heaven. Because you know when you go to heaven, there will no longer be any sin that you will have to deal with. Right? Paul talked about putting off this vile body. Because what's encased in this vile body is sin. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have been given the righteousness of God that's been imputed to us from Christ. But one of the problems that we have, as I've been talking about these last couple of weeks, is that we still have this body, this flesh. And in that body and in that flesh is sin. We walk around dragging this corpse of sin. And if anything, that's what brings us down. That's what influences us into sin. It's what influences us not to obey the Lord. And so when I called you to come up here and pray a few moments ago, one of the things I had in my mind is, is to get rid of that evil influence of not praying. Prayer is hard work. It demands all of you 
Yes, all of us, but I'm talking about you individually. It demands every single thing about you as you pour out your heart to the Lord. And you have to guard yourself against certain things because, you know, one of the hardest things that I share with you for me is praying publicly. That's hard. I don't always pray what I really want in, to pray in my heart. Maybe I should start. It might shock you if I do. But when I'm alone, I pray out loud. Some of my best prayer times is I'm driving somewhere, just pouring out my heart to the Lord, or even in the shower, just talking to the Lord, you know? And pouring out your heart. And just confessing everything that comes to your heart and mind and what you hunger for. So as we look at this, we need to keep in mind, Paul doesn't want us to imitate any longer anything that's evil. Anything that's part of our former manner of life, which is also called the old man. Instead, he wants us to imitate God. Look at verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God. He wants us to imitate God. Now, therefore backs us up. Every time we see a therefore, it backs us up. And it refers us to the last part of chapter 4, particularly verse 32. So look at verse 32. He tells the Ephesians to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore... Based upon that, be imitators of God as beloved children. The word imitator, as I said, it's a very important word in the Bible. The Greek word is mimite. Mimite is where we get the English word mimic. It refers to someone who copies specific characteristics of another person. You know, when my kids were much younger... One of the things that they used to do is walk in my shoes. And I'd find my shoes in somewhere, other part of the house. <laughs> do you really know what it's like to walk in somebody else's shoes? Well, w what is your child doing when they do that? They're trying to mimic you. And the closest that they can get is walk in your shoes. Now, we use that phrase, don't we, in other contexts, and sometimes we even have to use it in a negative way, say, you, you, know, you don't know what it's like to walk in my shoes. And what am I saying when I say that? I'm saying, you don't know really anything about me, and you really don't know all the responsibilities that I have. You don't know what my life is like, because you're not around me. So it could be used in a negative way. But in a more positive way, as our kids walk in our shoes, they're mimicking us, which means they're watching us. They're listening to us. They're learning what life is about as they look at us. And so we are to mimic God. And when we're to mimic God, listen to how God says this. Matthew 5.48 Jesus said, Therefore you are to be perfect, 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, that's some big shoes to fill, right? God is perfect. And guess what? He demands that we be perfect. You say, but I, but I can't. I, I can't do that. Yeah, you can't do that in your strength. I can't do it in my strength. You remember I said last time that Ephesians 5.18 is key to all this? We're not talking about doing any of this in our own strength. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, certain things happen. I mean, just go into chapter 5. Look at verse 18. He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That leads to riotous living. That's what the word dissipation means. But be being kept filled with the Spirit. That's the literal Greek rendering. And it's not talking about like where you would take a cup and you would fill it up with a liquid and, or you'd have half of it gone and you say, you know, you got a half a cup full. Or It's not talking about that. It's talking about domination. It's talking about control. It's like when you go next to a stream and the stream is moving. There's a current going. Jacksonville has a lot of currents in their waters, right? And you see that, and you, you see something floating in the water, and it's being carried along by the current. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to where we are carried along by the Spirit. He is the one carrying us. What do we have to do? What did that stick have to do? Did it fight against the current? No. It floated with the current. It went wherever the current took it. That's what we have to do. We don't fight against His work in our life. We allow Him to carry us. Now I mentioned last week, Colossians 3.16, which is the parallel of Ephesians 5.18. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spirits. sounds just like what we're reading here in verse 19 of Ephesians 5. And what's he saying in Colossians 3.16? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Well, what does that mean? That means let the word of Christ control you. And when you let God's word control you, guess what? That's being controlled by the Spirit. Who is the author of the word? The Spirit of God, is he not? And if you'll notice here, the, the results in Colossians 3.17 and following are the same as what we find here in Ephesians 5, 19 and following. Look at verse 19. He says here that when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to have a praise-filled heart. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with, with your heart to the Lord. In verse 20, he's, he talks about you're going to have a heart filled with thanksgiving. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even to the Father. So you see the first two things happen when you're filled with the Spirit? I mean, we're over there analyzing what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Look at the results. And that's how you'll know. Just the same way you'll know when you're in the flesh. Look at the results. Look at what is being produced. Look at what is coming forth from your life. Is praise coming from your lips? Is praise coming from your heart? Is thanksgiving coming from your heart? If so, that means you're being controlled by the Word of God, which also means you're being filled with the Spirit. You're controlled by the Spirit. It's only the Spirit can produce these things.
Look at verse 21. What's he say in verse 21? And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What's that mean, to be subject to one another? That's submission. Submission. I like it where he says this. All of us are submitting. Not just wives to their husbands. Husbands, for us to love our wife like Christ loved the church, doesn't it involve some submission? I mean, we're told in 1 Peter, with our wives to live in understanding with them. That involves submission. And besides, verse 21, he says, we're all doing it. We're all doing it to one another in the fear of Christ. So again, another evidence of being filled with the Spirit or controlled by the Word is that you're submissive. And so that's going to call for some humility. You've got to humble yourself. If you look down at verse 25, the only way that husbands can love their wives the way Christ loves the church is to have a sacrificial love. Verse 26, to have a purifying love that he might sanctify her. Verse 28, to have a caring love. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Verse 31, to have an unbreakable love. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You know, the only way that children can obey their parents is to be filled with the Spirit. I mean, to really do it in terms of coming from the heart. Yeah, they'll do it in the letter of the law. Because they know the consequences. If I don't obey what dad just told me or what mom told me, then I might get a spanking. And rightly so. They need to learn quickly and early that there are consequences for disobedience, right? Because if you leave that alone, you're going to have chaos. Not just then, but you're going to have chaos in the future as you try to pull them back in, as you try to rescue them. Because you were too lazy to teach them what it meant to be obedient. I'm not talking about them becoming your slaves or anything like that, having that kind of mentality. I'm talking about teaching them how to do what is right. It says in Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. What do we have going on today? Kids are shooting their parents or killing their parents. Because they don't like anything that they have to say to them and telling them how that they are to live. They want to do whatever they want to do. And they don't want to be resisted in any way from doing what they want to do. We have a responsibility. And you know what? It starts with us, men. It starts with us. Now, I realize that you may have kids that are grown and gone. Maybe you have some grandkids you can pour yourself into. Or maybe you can help another man who has younger kids and help them. Pass things on to them that you have learned. You know, that's what's supposed to be wonderful about getting older, is that you have a wealth of knowledge that you need to share with the younger generation. I mean, look at the younger generation today. Look at what's going on in our culture, what's going on in our worlds. Look what's going on in the classroom. You know, I read something horrible, usually most of the time, about education going on. 
I was in education, so it, it sparks my interest. And plus, we are homeschooling our kids still. But I read things that, you know, you put them into public schools and even private schools, you don't know what's going on with your kids. You don't know what they're being exposed to, whether it's being exposed to other students and what they bring into the classroom or what the teacher is bringing to the classroom. You, you, you don't know unless you're there. <coughs> or even unless they tell you. And they might not even tell you everything. You see, we have a tremendous responsibility. And as I said, the key to all of this is what Paul says here in verse 18. We have to be filled with the Spirit, and that's the only way you're going to put off the old man. That's the only way that you're going to deal with all these vices that we've already mentioned and the few more that are mentioned in chapter 5. That's the only way you're going to be able to be an imitator of God or an imitator of Christ is by being filled with the Spirit, by being controlled by the Word of God. Now, I know sometimes I say that sounds uh, easier than it is to do. But there's an aspect to that, to that statement that's not true. Because who is the one who helps you? <coughs> God is the one who helps us. The Spirit is the one who helps us. So we have to be perfect as He is perfect. We have to be holy as He is holy, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. We have to imitate Him. We have to be like Him. And I'll just tell you right now, for many people in the world, we are the only Jesus they're ever going to see. Because they're not going to come into church. They've already dealt with the problems that they've had to deal with in the church, and they've just given up on that, and they've walked away. And even some people who claim to be Christians, and maybe were pretty faithful to the church, and sometimes something happens, and instead of there being a reconciliation, there is a departure. And that's why we have such a sad state when it comes to the church. Churches don't practice church discipline to keep the church pure, to keep the church holy. Usually the person that leaves is the person that shouldn't have left. And the person that stays is the person who needed to be disciplined. But nothing is ever said. Because the thought is, let's keep the peace. And so we sacrifice truth for peace. It's wrong. One writer says, the more that you know God, the more you'll know what He wants you to be. So the primary pursuit of any believer is to know God. And that can be achieved only when we study God's character as it is revealed in Scripture. 
See, imitating God goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It's not just a New Testament principle. It goes all the way back to Leviticus 11.45 where God said, Be holy for I am holy. He sets the standard. He tells you how to live that standard. He tells you who the standard is. But we don't always do that. Now, the Apostle Paul, in verse 32, gives us some characteristics about God that we're to imitate. Again, I remind you what they are. Kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. That's how he's telling us to imitate God. First, do it in kindness. The Bible teaches that God is kind. That's his nature. Psalm 106, verse 7 says he's abundant in kindness. Psalm 145 and verse 17 says he is kind in all of his deeds. Even unbelievers, according to Romans 2, 4, have experienced the richness of his kindness, even though they despise it. And see, it's his kindness that gives us the motive by which he saves in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, it tells us that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. That's how we're saved. Think of what Paul said to Titus. Titus 3, 4, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. It was by his kindness that he showed to us. And so he is kind to everyone, even to those who refuse his kindness. Jesus said in Luke 6.35 that we're to love our enemies and do good and lend and expecting nothing in return. And he says your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. You know, one of the ways that he is kind to ungrateful and evil men is he hasn't yet given them what they deserve. Right? In fact, he will oftentimes use unkind and evil men as part of a way of judging a nation. You look at Israel's history, and they've had a lot of wicked rulers in their history. And why is that? Because Israel played the harlot. They went after false gods. They went after idols instead of the true and living God. And what were they told in the beginning? That Yahweh is the only God. Serve Him only. Don't make any images to Him. Serve Him. And here's how you serve Him. You don't murder. You honor your parents. You don't lie, you don't steal, you don't commit adultery. This is what he gave. And so if that's the picture, verse 32, then we are to be kind to one another. Even in those moments when that person is not kind to you. Over in Romans chapter 12, it tells us that we are 
not just to be kind to those that we love, but also those that hate us. Listen to verse 17 and following. He says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. What? I don't want to feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. I certainly don't want to give him anything to drink. He's not my friend. For in so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, the old man would do what I just said. I'm not going to give him anything to drink. I'm not going to give him anything to eat. I'm not going to have anything to do with him. I want nothing to do with him. He hurt me over and over and over and over. Well, don't ignore verse 32 when he also talks about forgiving. There are people that hurt us all the time. We are to put on kindness. And as I said, that will happen when we're filled with the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. What is produced by the Spirit in your life as you yield to Him is kindness. If you're not a kind person and you're claiming to be a Christian, and maybe you are a Christian, but you've been given into the flesh so much and you're following after that pattern, you need to stop that and follow after the Spirit and let Him transform through the new man that you have now become, that new person. Even pastors are told to be kind to everyone. And sometimes that's difficult too. But here's the reason why. 2 Timothy 2.24 and following says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. And here's the reason. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So what that's saying to me as a pastor, I need to be kind to everyone. I need to be patient. I need to teach. But I need to be patient when I'm wronged. And with gentleness, I need to correct those who are in opposition to the Word of God. Beloved, that, that takes a sacrifice of yourself. That's loving others more than you love yourself. And the only reason why we struggle with sacrificing for someone else is because we love ourselves more. So we have to imitate God in kindness. Notice the second one in verse 32. Tenderheartedness. Another word for that is compassion. God is compassionate, is He not? He's compassionate in His nature. In fact, it says in James 5.11, He's full of compassion. Even the psalmist in Psalm 25.6 appealed to His compassion when He said, Remember, O Lord, Your compassion and Your loving kindness. 
for they have been of old. David appealed to God's compassion when he confessed his sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51 and verse 1. He said, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. And then after he received that compassion, he said this to himself. Here's when you can talk to yourself, okay? You're not losing it if you talk to yourself. David talked to himself a lot. And here's what he said to himself. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. See, he's talking to himself. Soul, bless the Lord. And do it with all that's within you. Bless His holy name. You know what the word bless means in the New Testament? It means to speak well of. Speak well of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So he says it again. Soul, bless God. And don't forget any of His benefits. And what are they? Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy or compassion. Those are the benefits. Don't forget it. And then he says in verse 13 that God has compassion on those who fear Him. It says, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. And I believe God's compassion is seen best when we confess our sin, when we turn from our sin. In Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 6, God said to Israel, I will strengthen the house of Judah, I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them back because I have had compassion on them. And they will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Psalm 28, or rather Proverbs 28, and verse 13 says, He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And so we're to mimic his compassion. Not just his kindness, but also his compassion. Listen to this. And I believe that Kindness and forgiveness and compassion, all these are kind of linked together. When God has sent Jonah to preach to the Ninevites about the judgment of God that was coming upon them because of their sin, the people of Nineveh took notice and they did what? They repented. And God told Jonah in chapter 4 and verse 11, he's all upset over there because... You know, he knew God was going to do this. It's pretty bad when you really want God to wipe out your enemies. And God said to Jonah, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. Shouldn't I have compassion? Do you think that God enjoys it when people die? It says he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. What's the fate of the wicked? Hell. Right? 
Well, we do have to imitate him in compassion. We have to imitate him in kindness. And notice also the third one. We have to imitate him in forgiveness. He says, forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The word forgiveness here means to release. If you're not willing to forgive somebody when they wrong you, you're not willing to release them. You're holding a debt over their head. And you're saying when they come and make right, when they come and pay the debt, whatever that may be, then I'll forgive them. We were talking a little bit about this last week. Remember Linsky was talking about you know, if we immediately forgive, then there's actually a blessing there for you. You're not holding this over somebody else's head. There's no room for offense. William McDonald says of this idea of forgiveness, it's a readiness to pardon offenses. To overlook personal wrongs against oneself. To harbor no desire for retaliation. What we just read in Romans 12. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You've got to leave room for that. You've got to let God take care of those things. And of course, the key to all this is being filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is produced... And that's going to cause you to walk in love. That's the greatest measuring rod in our life as believers. And so if, if I truly love you, not only will it be manifested by my kindness and my compassion, but it will also be manifested by my willingness to forgive you when you wrong me. Look at verse 32 again. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's the pattern. How many times have we wronged God? How many times have we sinned against Him? And how many times has He forgiven us? So why can't we forgive our neighbor? Why can't we forgive another believer? Why can't we forgive our spouse? Why can't we forgive our children when they wrong us? I have this big thing, and I've had this for 33 years. As my oldest son's 33. But as they got older, Teresa and I decided that the only way we were going to teach them about forgiving each other is if we practiced it too with them. So the very tangible thing that we do, that we started 33, well, say 30, maybe 30 years ago. It's hard to do when they're a baby. But as soon as they started understanding, <coughs> we would do this. I'd say, Daddy was wrong. Daddy sinned against you. Will you forgive me? If I want them to do that to each other, I've got to be willing to do that to them. 
right? Remember the shoes that they're walking in? We have to be willing to do the same thing. How can we teach them about God being a forgiving God if we're not, as his children, being forgiving as well? They learn about your whole worldview about God. They get it from you. Because <clears throat> that's what they see. And so just as God has given us second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and an innumerable amount of chances, He's given us a, an innumerable amount of times to start afresh. We need to show them what it means to forgive. Don't hold it over their head. Don't carry it on throughout the day. Well, you know, you would have been able to do this if it wasn't for this. Or you cop an attitude toward them. And it's something that they had done. And yet you're the one showing them unforgiveness. The Bible tells us in Psalm 86 and verse 5 that God is ready to forgive. Psalm 130 verse 4, there's forgiveness with you. So that's what we're to mimic. I want to leave you with this. We'll stop right here and pick it up next time. John MacArthur writes, The Christian has no greater calling or purpose than that of imitating his Lord. That is the very purpose of sanctification, growing in likeness to the Lord while serving him on earth. The Christian life is designed to reproduce godliness as modeled by the Savior and Lord Jesus Christ in whose image believers have been recreated through the new birth. As God's dear children, believers are to become more and more like their heavenly Father. And that's my prayer for us this morning. We don't want to give over to the old man, the former manner of life. We want to walk according to the new self that we've become now. Sometimes we carry our past around with us and we carry the guilt around with us. Listen, if God has forgiven you, then drop it. You don't need to carry that anymore. Drop it. Trust Him. Accept His forgiveness. And the wonderful thing about the Word of God is that we have it right there in front of us, frozen on a page, and we can read it. And look at that again, verse 32. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Beautiful words. God's forgiven you. And he did that because of Christ. We need to just capture that in our mind and replay that over and over and over. We've been forgiven. 
When a buddy shared Christ with me, I was 19. I really had a pretty bad life. I'm not talking about upbringing or anything like that. I'm just talking about the choices that I made. I was doing drugs. I was getting drunk all the time. I had a horrible attitude, horrible mouth. And that's what dominated my life. And my friend came to me and he told me, he said, Steve, you need to be forgiven of all your sin. And that forgiveness is found only in Jesus Christ. And if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you commit your life to Jesus Christ, you will have His forgiveness of all your sin. Wow, you can't get anything else better than that, can you? Where do I sign? How do I do this? It took a few visits from Him for that to sink in. But one day it did. That sunk in deeply. And as best as I knew how to do, I, I left the room. I went to another room. Nobody was in there, and I just got on my knees. And I just asked God to forgive me. Please forgive me. I want to follow you with my whole heart. I want to give you my life. I don't want to live this life that I've been living any longer. I want to follow you. I want to do your will. I got up. I didn't see any fireworks. Didn't hear any explosions. But I'll tell you one thing I did notice. Immediately, my desires were different. Immediately. It's like a whole new world had opened up. I now was open to the environment of God. I now knew He was real. Like I said, I was 19. By the way, that was 39 years ago. I still believe that. All my heart. So I just want to say this to young people. Got my kids right here. Robert and Della's kids back there. Jesus is real. He is real. And the sooner you come to that understanding, the better. And He wants your heart. He wants your whole life. Not part of it. Not half of it. You can't have half your foot in the kingdom and the other half in the world. He wants your whole life. And He wants you to make that exchange. You give up your life to have all His life. Doesn't seem like an even exchange though, does it? His is a pure, perfect, righteous life for my vile, wicked, heinous life. But that's it. You've got to make the exchange. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? My prayer is that you would get an understanding of that. Because you need to be forgiven of all your sin. All of it. And the only way is in Christ 
what he did on the cross, when he died on the cross, he took your sin and your punishment on himself. And when you look to him, just like the Israelites did in the Old Testament, when they looked at the serpent on the pole, and if they'd been bit by the serpents, when they would look up to the bronze serpent on the pole, what would happen? It'd be healed. Jesus uses that same illustration in John chapter 3. Look to him. Look to Christ. And be healed of your sin. Be forgiven. But you've got to look to Christ. There's nowhere else but Christ. And beloved, that's our message. We've got to call people to look to Christ. Step out of your comfort zone. Step out of your fear. And talk to people. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen by you being silent and never saying anything. And you hoping that someone else will say it. Well, God put that person in your path. But start first in your home. Start right there. Heavenly Father, we just pray, and I just pray, that you would help us to understand this and get this message that you want every single thing about us. And as believers, as followers, as your children, that you call us to mimic your character, to be like our Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness and your compassion and your kindness. Thank you for your love for us. So overwhelmed by it. I pray, open up all of our hearts this morning to you and to these truths from your word. And we pray all that in Jesus' name.